questions to the Prime Minister, Ruth Cadbury. Question number one, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. Following my duties in this House this afternoon, I shall have an audience of Her Majesty the Queen. I shall then continue with my duties in this House from the back benches, where I will continue to be the Member of Parliament for Maidenhead. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I profoundly disagree with many of the decisions the Prime Minister has made and many of the things she says. But I recognise that she does have a respect for public service and for the future of our country. So how does she feel about handing over to a man who, among many things, is happy to demonise Muslims, is prepared to chuck our loyal public servants and diplomats under a bus and promises to sell our country out to Donald Trump and his friends. I am pleased to hand over to an incoming leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister, who I worked with when he was in my Cabinet, who... who is committed as a Conservative who stood on a Conservative manifesto in 2017 to delivering on the vote of the British people in 2016 and to delivering a bright future for this country. Bob Blackman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I rise to not only thank my right sort of friend for her loyal service as Prime Minister over the last three years, but also for her 33 years in public service, which is a record to be proud of, but also to thank her for her personal support in helping me get my private member's bill, the Homelessness Reduction Act, onto the statute book. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that it is far better to help people and prevent people from becoming homeless, to use the taxation system to combat obesity? and to prevent people from smoking in the first place. Does she agree with me that prevention is far better than a cure? First of all, first of all can I say to my honourable friend, can I thank him for all the work that he did on his Homelessness Reduction Act? Can I also say, crucially, we are actually seeing that act having an impact, and that is so important for people who are benefiting from the work that he did. He's been work, doing a lot of work, I know, as part of the Smoking and Health APPG, and I agree that we do need to start viewing health as an asset to protect throughout our lives. That's why we've taken bold action on smoking and on childhood obesity. And uh, I'm proud that we've delivered the biggest ever cash boost in the uh, history of the National Health Service but also a long-term plan that, as my honourable friend says, will focus on prevention. Uh, prevention also focusing on cancer care and mental health, but making sure that we are trying to ensure that people do not get into the situation where they are in that ill health in the first place. Preventing smoking, preventing obesity are key parts for better lives for people in the future. Jeremy Corbyn! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Today... Today marks the final day in office for the Prime Minister and I pay tribute to her sense of public duty. Public service should always be recognised. 
Being an MP, a minister or indeed a prime minister is an honour that brings with it huge responsibility and huge pressures, both personally and I'm sure the prime minister and probably the whole house would agree on those very closest to us who often are not able to answer back for the criticisms made against them. So I hope, Mr Speaker, that she has a marginally more relaxing time on the back branches and perhaps, like the Chancellor, even helping me to oppose the reckless plans of her successor. <laughs> Mr Speaker, uh, Mr Speaker, if I may continue, in the... I'm glad, the opposite, I'm glad the government party's in such good heart today, Mr Speaker. For tomorrow they won't be. Mr Speaker, in the last three years, in the last three years, child poverty has gone up. Pensioner poverty has gone up. In-work poverty has gone up. Violent crime has gone up. NHS waiting times have gone up. School class sizes have gone up. Homelessness has gone up. Food bank use has gone up. Does the Prime Minister have any regrets about any of those things I've just said? Can I say to the uh, right honourable gentleman, it's very good to see the Conservative Party in good heart, which is more than I can say for the Labour Party. tell the right honourable gentleman. Let me just say something to the right honourable gentleman about my record over the last three years and how I measure my record over the last three years. It's in the opportunity for every child who is now in a better school. It's in the comfort for every person who now has a job for the first time in their life. It's in the hope of every disadvantaged young person now able to go to university. And it's in the joy of every couple who can now move into their own home. Because at its heart, politics at its heart, politics isn't about exchanges across these dispatch boxes, nor about eloquent speeches or media headlines. Politics is about the difference we make every day to the lives of people up and down this country. They are our reason for being here, and we should never forget it. Mr Speaker, politics is about real life. Politics is about what people suffer in their ordinary lives. And I didn't mention that uh, per-pupil school funding has gone down. Police numbers are down. GP numbers are falling. In the the, the 2017 Conservative Manifesto, the Prime Minister promised that no school would have its budget cut and that they would perfect, protect TV licences for the over 75s and halve rough sleeping. Which of these pledges is the Prime Minister most sorry has not been achieved? Can I just point out to the right on I'm pleased to hear that he spent some time reading the Conservative Party manifesto in 2017. Uh, had he read it properly, he's not been known always for reading the documents that he stands up and talks about. Uh, had he read it properly, he'd have said we did make a pledge on rough sleeping, to half rough sleeping by 2022, and to f- stop rough sleeping by 2027. I'm pleased to say that in the last year we have seen we have seen rough sleeping going down, and particularly rough sleeping going down in those areas where this government has been taking action. 
Jeremy Corbyn. I don't quite know where the Prime Minister gets her figures from on rough sleeping. All I know is that I travel around this country. I travel around this country just like other members of this House and I talk to people who've had a disaster in their lives and end up rough sleeping. We are the fifth richest country in the world. It is surely wrong that anyone should end up sleeping on the streets of this country. We can and should do something about it. Mr Speaker, I've often disagreed with the Prime Minister and have many criticisms of her policies. However, I welcomed the reduction in the stake on fixed odds betting terminals, the adoption of the Children's Funeral Fund and scrapping employment tribunal fees. Which of these policies is the Prime Minister most proud of? I'm proud of all the policies that we have introduced that have been improving people's lives. I'm proud of the fact that through uh, the balanced management of the economy that we have done, we now see more people in work in this country than ever before. I'm proud of the fact there are more children in good and outstanding schools. I'm proud of the fact that the uh, attainment gap between the disadvantage and the advantage has been narrowed under this government. And I'm proud of the fact that we are putting the biggest cash boost in its history into our National Health Service. We are ensuring that the National Health Service, the most beloved institution in this country, will be there for people into the future. This is a Conservative government, and my government, delivering on the things that matter to people in their day-to-day lives. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister may have noticed that none of those things that I mentioned were actually in the Conservative Party manifesto in 2017, but every one of them was a Labour pledge in 2017. On Brexit, the Prime Minister's own red lines ruled out any sensible compromise deal. Only after she had missed her own deadline to leave did the Prime Minister even begin to shift her position. But by then, she no longer had the authority to deliver. Her successor has no mandate at all. Does she have confidence that the Honourable, Right Honourable Member for Uxbridge will succeed where she has not? Can I just say to the right honourable gentleman, I worked tirelessly to get a good deal for the UK, and I also worked hard to get that deal through this Parliament. I voted for the deal. What did the right honourable gentleman do? He voted against a deal. He voted to make no deal more likely. And when there was a prospect of reaching consensus across this House, the right honourable gentleman walked away from the talks. His only interest has been playing party politics. And frankly, he should be ashamed of himself. We've had three years of bungled negotiations and we now have the spectacle of a Prime Minister coming into office with no electoral mandate, looking for a Brexit deal that has been ruled out by the European Union or, in the case of a no deal, ruled out by the majority in this House and by anyone that understands the dangers to the British economy of a no deal. The next Prime Minister thought the Isle of Man was in the European Union and that the European Union made rules about kippers that, in fact, were made by the government that he was part of. He also said the UK could secure tariff-free trade through Article 24 of the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, despite the Trade Secretary, Attorney-General, Governor of the Bank of England, all confirming that is not possible. At the start of 2018, the... 
It's coming, don't worry. At the start of 2018, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister herself set up a new unit to counter fake news, charged with combating disinformation. How successful does she think that's been? say to the right honourable gentleman that I, I fear that our success hasn't been what we, uh, what we wanted it to be from the amount of fake news and fake information he uses at that dispatch box. Maybe, maybe Mr Speaker, she can have a word with her successor on the way out. But let me conclude by welcoming some for today. Mr Speaker, let me conclude by welcoming some of the Prime Minister's notable U-turns over the last couple of years. The cruel dementia tax was scrapped. Plans to bring back grammar schools were ditched. The threat to the pensions triple lock was abandoned. Withdrawal of the winter fuel payments was dumped. The pledge to bring back fox hunting was dropped. And they binned their plan to end universal school meal, free school meals for five to seven-year-olds. The Prime Minister has dumped her own manifesto. Given that her successor has no mandate from the people, no mandate in which to move into office, doesn't she agree the best thing the Right Honourable Member for Uxbridge could do later on today, when he takes office, is to call a general election and let the people decide their future? to the right honourable gentleman is no and if he wants to talk about people ducking manifesto commitments and commitments made during a general election campaign can we remember what the Labour Party the right honourable gentleman said about student debt going to abolish student debt after the election no he rose back on that promise rose back on that promise what did he say during the general election? He was committed to Trident. What does he say after the general election? No, he's not committed to Trident at all. He has broken promise after promise to the people of this country. But I say to the right honourable gentleman, I say to the right honourable gentleman, as this is the last time that we will have this exchange across these dispatch boxes. say that it is the strength of our British democracy that the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition have these exchanges across their dispatch boxes every week at two swords length. Uh, no quarter is sought and none is given. And that is as it should be in our adversarial parliamentary democracy. But he and I are very different people and with very, with very, very different politicians. I think we approach the issues we face in this country in different ways. I have spent all but one of my years in this House on the front bench trying to implement the policies I believe in. He has spent most of his time on the back benches campaigning for what he believes in, often against his own party. But what I think we both have in common is a commitment to our constituencies. I saw that after the terrorist attack in Finsbury Park Mosque and his constituency. And, uh, but perhaps I could just finish my exchange with him by saying this. 
as a party leader who has accepted when her time was up. Perhaps the time is now for him to do the same. Shy, Mr. Davis. Assert yourself, man. We must hear from you. <laughs> um, well, th- th- thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I, I first met the uh, honourable member for Maidenhead when she came campaigning with me in Berio uh, in the early, in the very difficult days, the dark days of the of the late 1990s. She's been a great friend of Wales ever since then. Yeah. And only recently, her government has approved uh, the end of the tolls on the M4 and a number of other great issues for Wales. Uh, can I ask the, um, the Honourable Member, the Prime Minister, the Right Honourable Member, the Prime Minister, to encourage her successor to bring forward a bill to extend the general election franchise to all British citizens living overseas, where there's a wide diaspora of Welsh. Yeah. Well, can I, can I thank my uh, Honourable Friend for his remarks? Can I thank him also for highlighting the work that the Government has done in Wales? I would add to that that there are over 95,000 people in uh, Wales who had a pay rise this year as a result of the national living wage, and we've seen employment in Wales rise by 167,000 since 2010. So we have indeed seen Conservatives delivering for Wales. I know the concern there is about the uh, franchise issues for overseas uh, voters, and I'm sure that is something that uh, my successor will wish to look at. But can I also say to my honourable friend that I discovered, uh, I discovered a new part of his, uh, his past uh, recently, which is that I believe, I, believe he was once, I believe he was once the bodyguard to the legendary Hollywood actress Lauren Bacall. <laughs> Speaker, I think his red face tells us all. <laughs> Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister, it is fair to say that we have had our differences. It has not often been a shared meeting of minds. However, with the Prime Minister standing down today, the time for holding the Prime Minister to account has passed. Mr Speaker, the burdens of office are considerable. The loneliness of leadership can be stark. Whilst there are times we have clashed on points of political difference, equally we have stood together when it has been right to do so. Over Salisbury and over the threats to the UK's national security. The Prime Minister has made sure that opposition leaders were informed rightly at key moments in national security. And in particular, her Chief of Staff, Gavin Barwell, has always sought to make sure that I was kept informed of important developments. Prime Minister, I wish you and Philip all the best for the future. As the Prime Minister departs, is she confident that the office of Prime Minister can be upheld by her flagrant successor? Can I, 
can I first of all say, can I first of all thank the right honourable gentleman for his remarks? He's absolutely right. He and I have a difference of opinion on some, uh, on some key issues, but I've been grateful for the position that the SNP has taken on some of those key issues of national security when it has stood alongside the government uh, as we have faced the actions of our enemy. Uh, and uh, can I also say to the, uh, to the right honourable gentleman that I understand the point that he has made about keeping opposition leaders in, uh, in touch with things that have, that have uh, uh, taken place. And I would also like to take this opportunity, Mr Speaker, to pay tribute to Gavin Barwell, who was a first-class member. He was a first-class member of this House, a first-class minister, and has been an absolutely first-class Chief of Staff. And in answer to the Right Honourable Gentleman's question, yes, I congratulate uh, my Right Honourable Friend for uh, winning the Conservative leadership election. He will take over as Prime Minister, and I look forward to a first-class Conservative government under his leadership, delivering for the whole of the United Kingdom. Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister-elect has no mandate in Scotland. He has no mandate from the people. The government he is busy forming has no mandate in Scotland. Mr Speaker, Scotland deserves better. A snap YouGov poll shows 60% of people in Scotland are dismayed and disappointed by the new Prime Minister. Prime Minister, we on these benches have tabled an early day motion with friends from parties across this House rejecting this House being shut down before November. Following Parliament's overwhelming message in last week's vote, can I invite the Prime Minister, in one of her first actions as a backbench MP, to sign our early day motion and join efforts to stop the suspension of Parliament under any circumstances? I say, can I say to the right honourable gentleman, as I said, as I said in answer to his first question, I accepted that he and I do have uh, differences on a number of issues. We both, I think, we both have a passion for delivering for the people of Scotland. I want to do that with Scotland as part of the United Kingdom. He wants to take Scotland out of the uh, out of the United Kingdom. Uh, and can I say to him that we, what we do have in this uh, in this government is a mandate from the people to form a government of this country. That's how we run things in the parliamentary democracy, in the parliamentary democracy that we have here in this, uh, in this country. We also have a mandate from the people to deliver on the result of the 2016 referendum. And if he's so interested in delivering on mandates of the British people, he should have voted for the deal and take us out of the EU. Mrs Pauline Latham. Cycleway is an aspirational project running through my constituency which would create an off-road cycleway between Derby and Baslow, providing an alternative commuting route, uh, encouraging tourism, encouraging cycling amongst the young and improve the health of the local population. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that more funding should be made available to support this and other similar projects? Yeah. Well, can I uh, uh, recognise the importance of increasing cycling and walking? This is, uh, this is important for people's health, it's important for the local environment, and schemes like the Derwent Valley Cycleway provide significant benefit to the local economy as well as to health and the environment. So we have doubled uh, our spending on cycling and walking in England, uh, and our local cycling and walking infrastructure plan enables local authorities to take a strategic approach to planning uh, improvements in their local cycling and uh, walking. 
and to integrate those into wider plans for transport and economic development. And I'm sure this is an issue that will continue to be supported by Conservatives in government. Mr Speaker, in Newcastle, the Prime Minister's departure invokes neither the despair of a Rafa Benitez, nor yet the joy of a Mike Ashley, and she may take comfort from that. But as she considers her choices, House of Lords, dignified retirement, working with her successor, can I ask her to work to bring dignity and choice to others? She is a WASPy woman. Will she dedicate her prime ministerial retirement to justice for all WASPies? Yeah. Can I say to the Honourable Lady that, first of all, we have put a billion pounds extra into the uh, pension system, recognising concerns that were expressed by women about the changes to pensions. But she references what I'm going to be doing in the future. I thought I'd already made that very clear. I will be continuing in this House as the Member of Parliament for Maidenhead. Closed question, Michael Fabricant. Question 14, sir. Uh, I'm sure my honourable friend will want to join me in saying how pleased I am with the economic growth that we've seen in the West Midlands Combined Authorities area. Outputs increased 27% over five years, productivity increased at twice the national rate last year, and employment has increased since 2011. And I think that the West Midlands Combined Authority shows precisely what a local, visible, innovative leadership can do, uh, and how it can be the key to building a strong economy and a fairer society. Michael Fabrican. With the Prime Minister's active encouragement, the Mayor of the West Midlands was elected in May 2017, and she has supported him and the region ever since. Over £2 billion, Mr Speaker, has been given to the region by the Prime Minister in form of grants and guarantees for transport and so many other worthwhile projects. So on behalf of the people of the West Midlands, may I thank her and may I also ask that she continues in Parliament as a strong advocate for local devolution. Can I say to my honourable friend, I remember the conversation I had with Andy Street when I was encouraging him to stand for the mayoralty of the West Midlands, and I'm very pleased that he did, and he has been delivering for the people of the West Midlands ever since his election. Uh, Can I also thank my honourable friend for highlighting the excellent work uh, that we have done for the West Midlands, government working with that combined authority, shows the benefits of the very local devolution that my honourable friend has referred to. And I think this is a very good example of what that innovative leadership, that visionary leadership, can do at a local level in improving the lives of people. Ben Brennan. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Outgoing American presidents get to pardon anybody they want. Uh, if, if she could, would she pardon her successor for sabotaging her premiership purely for his own personal ambition? Can I say to the honourable gen- Can I say to the honourable gentleman that? my successor will continue to deliver the Conservative policies that have improved the lives of people up and down this country since we were elected into a coalition government in 2010. There is a long list of improvements that have taken place in people's lives and I look forward forward on the backbenches to giving my full support to the next Prime Minister as he takes us forward, delivering on Brexit and continuing to deliver on those Conservative policies. Sir Patrick McLaughlin. Can I thank my right honourable friend for the way in which she has conducted herself as Prime Minister of this country? 
for the dignified way in which she has approached the job and her responsibilities. Can I ask her to reflect on the fact that when we both first joined the Government in 2010, for every £4 the Government was spending, we were borrowing £1. As she leaves office today, for every £34 the Government spends, we're borrowing one. She has left an economy that is in a much more stable position than when it was inherited. To do that, to do that she has had to make some very, very difficult choices, and choices we may not have wanted to make, but we've got the economy on sound footing, and I thank her for it. Can I thank my right honourable friend for pointing out that fact about uh, government borrowing and for highlighting the work that we have done for the economy, delivering that balanced approach? And I'd like to thank my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, for the work that he has done in delivering that. What does that mean? It means borrowing at its lowest level for 17 years. It means the lowest unemployment since the 1970s. Wages growing at their fastest time in a decade and debt falling. That's what my government has delivered. More jobs, healthier finances and an economy fit for the future. Yasmin Qureshi. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Education Select Committee published this report on Friday stating that the government should urgently address underfunding in further education by increasing the amount £4,000 per student to £4,760. Will the Prime Minister agree that raising the rate will benefit the excellent Bolton Sixth Form College in my constituency as well as many other colleges which are also under severe financial pressure, some of which are actually going under? I say to the Honourable Lady that obviously I always look at select committee reports with care, but actually I commissioned a review, the AUGA review, about post-18 funding in education. That review has been very clear that more money needs to go into further education and more money into sixth forms. I want to see that happening. Indeed, I think that just as, just as uh, my government has given a priority to the National Health Service in looking at funding for the future, the next government should give a priority to education so that we can see that money going into FE and sixth forms and ensuring that for every young person there is an avenue through education and training that suits them, that suits their talents and gives them the best opportunities for their future. Helen Grant. Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has always been a great champion of victims of domestic violence as Prime Minister and as Home Secretary and she's directed many, many millions of pounds during her time into improving those support services. But does she agree with me there is still much more work to be done in terms of prevention and early intervention and the ongoing scepticism that still greets many victims when they report violence. Can I, can I thank my honourable friend for raising a very important issue and also thank her for the work that I know she did in her legal practice prior to coming into this House with, uh, the, the, for the victims of domestic violence. Uh, this is a very important issue. I'm proud of the domestic abuse bill that has been introduced in this House uh, and I look forward to the debates on that bill uh, uh, as it uh, goes through its uh, time in Parliament. Uh, it, it, but my honourable friend is absolutely right. We do need to continue the focus, to continue making sure that we're working on prevention and continuing to raise awareness, we must ensure that domestic violence is seen for what it is. These are criminal acts that are being perpetrated. 
and they should not be brushed under the carpet. People should not just say, oh, it's something that happens behind closed doors or just to domestic. We need to take domestic violence very seriously. We need to ensure that we take the appropriate action for the pro- uh, uh, in relation to the perpetrators, but also that victims are given support and that they feel confident and able to come forward at the earliest opportunity to report what has happened to them. John McNally. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent, the wife of Captain Dean Sprouting, a brave, experienced and decorated soldier with the UK military for 29 years. In January 2018, he was killed while serving in Iraq, believed to be by a forklift driven by US soldiers. 18 months later, Captain Sprouting's family have still not had an answer as to how he came to his death. His death has not been fully investigated and those driving the truck have not been brought to justice. Can the PM ensure that there will be a continuing investigation into the cause of his death? Can I I say to the Honourable Gentleman, obviously he's raised an issue of great concern, and I'm sure it will be of concern to members across this House, uh, and uh, and of course to uh, to the family of his constituent. Can I say to him that I will ensure that the Ministry of Defence provides a response to him on this issue? Alistair Burt. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Could I, could I thank my right honourable friend for her work in supporting and overseeing the global health programme that the United Kingdom delivers overseas, particularly vaccination and most notably polio eradication vaccination, for which she has herself been uh, internationally recognised and which has saved and safeguarded millions of children's lives across the world. Does she agree with me that the need to combat misinformation about vaccination is perhaps now as important as it ever has been? And would she, in her memo to her successor, just note the importance of this programme and also the continuing need for a self-standing Department for International Development? Can I thank my right honourable friend for his and his reference to the work on polio enables me to congratulate and commend the work that's been done by my constituent Judith Diamond with Rotary International uh, in their work against uh, against polio. Uh, can I also say to him the, the it is important that we do combat the disinformation about vaccinations uh, and ensure that people are willing to have those vaccinations which will change their lives, which will ensure that they can uh, lead healthy lives rather than succumbing to to diseases and conditions that can uh, have an impact on their lives. Uh, can I also say to him, I'm proud of the fact that we have a Department for International Development. I'm proud of the fact that we've legislated for 0.7% of GNI to be spent uh, on uh, development aid overseas. That is an important element of global Britain, an important element of our standing in the world. Tom Brake. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last Friday, I had the honour of witnessing the presentation of the Légion d'honneur to Hélène uh, Oldwinkle, who is a constituent, uh, for the work that she did at Bletchley Park uh, as a codebreaker in World War II. She played a critical role uh, in uh, defeating the most disgusting fascist ideology. So will the Prime Minister on her last day uh, at the dispatch box join me in saying that all politicians should remember the common goals which united people like uh, Helen and they must never resort to nor fail to call out nationalistic rhetoric which paints others as enemies, victimises minorities or espouses racism and if they do they are neither fit to be a president nor a prime minister. Can I say to the right honourable gentleman that, as I have said on a number of occasions in the past, it behoves all of us as politicians, indeed all in public life, 
to be careful about the language we use, and to ensure that we give a very clear message that there is no place in our society for, races, ra- <coughs> excuse me, for racism or for hate crime, and we should all act to ensure that we deliver on those sentiments. Can I also say to him to, to uh, thank Helen for her work at Bletchley Park and all those who worked at Bletchley Park. Unsung for some considerable time, they played an absolutely crucial part in our ability to defeat fascism in the, uh, in the Second World War, and we should be very proud of the work that they did, and I'm grateful for the opportunity he's given for this House to celebrate it. Heath Simpson. Can I begin, Mr Speaker, by commending the Prime Minister in her term of office? for her stamina and her courage, whatever our views on Brexit and other issues, and the support that she received from her husband, Philip. For many of us, our husbands, wives, partners are the unsung heroes. May I now ask her a specific question? Uh, She is going to the palace this afternoon, and we assume that she's going to recommend that the Right Honourable Member for Uxbridge uh, succeeds her as Prime Minister. But can she tell the House one piece of real hard advice that she would like to give him on being Prime Minister? Can I say, uh, a number of my uh, honourable and right honourable friends from a sedentary position are suggesting that advice should be to read my honourable friend's summer reading list. Can I I also say to him that he's given me an opportunity for doing something which I suspect many on my side may not thank me for, but I'm taking taking a a lead from you, Mr Speaker, in saying that I'm very pleased to be able to see my husband in the gallery today. Vernon Coker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I obviously disagree with the Prime Minister on many aspects of policy and the uh, work she's done over the last few years, both as Prime Minister and Home Secretary, but it would be wrong not to commend the Prime Minister on the phenomenal work she's done on bringing forward the issue of modern slavery and tackling human trafficking. And so, can I congratulate her on that? But in in doing that, there are still many issues and many challenges with respect to this that, uh, that face us. And can I just ask the Prime Minister, last year, As part of government policy, we locked up 507 potential victims of modern slavery as immigration offenders. That can't be right, and surely we need a change of public policy to treat them as victims, not as criminals. Can I first of all thank the Honourable Gentleman for his, uh, for his remarks and can I also thank him for the work that he has done on this issue of modern slavery too because it's one on which he and I have spoken over, on a number of occasions over the years and he has been a great champion of this issue as well. Um, as he will know, in the uh, Modern Slavery Act that we passed in 2015, we did take action to, in relation to those individuals who could find themselves as the, at the receiving end of criminal charges as a result, of, uh, but effectively because they had been forced to act in that way because of modern slavery, and that was, uh, that was dealt with in that issue. We have been looking at how we deal with victims at the, the referral mechanism, and uh, it is important we've had an independent review of the Modern Slavery Act that has proposed and made a number of recommendations for improving the way in which victims are treated, and we will be taking most of those recommendations on board. Dame Caroline Spellman. 
Speaker. And further to the Honourable Gentleman's mention of modern-day slavery, I think it's right to record that our, my right honourable friend has long and distinguished service in this House, both in government and in opposition. But her commitment to public service has been outstanding. Her vision and determination to bring forward legislation against modern-day slavery led the world. So I hope that my right honourable friend will continue her fight against slavery with us from the backbenches so that we stamp out this evil scourge together. Yeah. Can I say to my right honourable friend, I look forward to joining her on the backbenches and continuing to campaign on this issue. And I, I also would pay tribute to her for the work that she has done on this issue. She's right, it is an absolute scourge. We must continue to fight it and we must continue to raise awareness of it because there are too many people today in this country not trafficked into this country, but British citizens who find themselves taken into effective slavery. We must raise awareness of this and we must constantly uh, work to combat it and to end it. Mr Paul Sweeney. The Prime Minister has often spoken about the need for an industrial strategy during her time in office, but the St Rollocks Railway Works in Springburn, affectionately known as the Cali, will be closed by its asset-stripping German owner Mutares on Friday ending 163 years of engineering excellence and the jobs of 200 skilled workers. Shame. The Scottish and UK governments have both failed to intervene to save this strategic site since the closure was announced late last year. Well, the workforce has been left devastated. Even though the Prime Minister is losing her own job today, it's not too late for her to act now and to instruct the government to do everything it can to find a way to save these vital jobs and this historic railway works. Will she at least commit to doing that? Yeah, yeah. Honourable gentlemen, I recognise the concern that he's showing for his constituency and the, and the worry and concern that there is for those people who are employed in the, uh, in the business that he, has, uh, that he has referred to. Of course, whenever we see uh, closures of factories, closures of industrial sites, government does act to uh, ensure that support is available for those who do find themselves losing their jobs, should that be the case. But can I also say to the honourable gentleman, he says that uh, I said that we, uh, I talked of having a modern industrial strategy. We have a modern industrial strategy. It is a modern industrial strategy which is setting, uh, setting essentially, setting the background and the framework which will enable the economy of the United Kingdom to be the economy for the 21st century. Charles Walker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You are in no doubt, Mr. Speaker, that I think the Prime Minister is a thoroughly good egg, and it's been an absolute privilege to serve on the back benches with her. Mr. Mr. Speaker, this Prime Minister's commitment to mental health has been simply fantastic. It was fantastic when she was the Home Secretary and fantastic as Prime Minister. The Stevenson Farmer Review into Workplace Mental Health. Sir Simon's Wesley Review into the 1983 Mental Health Act. Her commitment to reducing the tragedy of suicide and putting her office behind that. And the introduction of places of safety for people experiencing a mental health crisis. Mr Speaker, we have been filling the Prime Minister's diary up with future commitments as she authors the next chapter of her political life. But can she find space for a few more paragraphs on mental health? Can I thank my honourable friend for, uh, for his intervention, his question? Can I also thank him and my right honourable friend, the member for Chesham and Anmersham, for the dignified way in which they conducted the Conservative Party leadership election? Uh, he has been an advocate for government doing more on mental health, for 
his time, uh, during his time in this House, and he has championed the need for us to do more on mental health. I want to continue to, ensuring, uh, to ensure that we do indeed take forward. We've, we have set the record in putting that record funding into mental health, in having those essential reviews, Stevenson Farmer and Sir Simon Wesley's review. We now need to ensure that we implement uh, the proposals, that we take this forward, because if we uh, do so, then we will make a significant improvement in the lives of those people with mental health problems. I bet. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Professor John Snowden of Sheffield Hallamshire University uh, Hospital has just received a top NHS award for pioneering work on stem cell transplantation for MS sufferers. Mr. Speaker, I'd like to declare my own personal interest in this, in that John Snowden and his excellent team were responsible for my own transplant last year for a multiple myeloma, a form of blood cancer. Will she now give an assurance as she steps down as Prime Minister but remains an MP that she won't uh, support any form of Brexit, which prevents John Snowden continuing to work with his EU colleagues on the board of the European Society for Blood and Marrow Transportation, which will continue to advance this treatment for patients with myeloma, MS and leukaemia? I say to the honourable gentleman that, first of all, I commend uh, the individual that he's, that he's referred to for the work that he has been doing. Uh, I'm not aware of the particular organisation that he has referred to, of which uh, the uh, consultant he's referred to is, is uh, a member. Um, but can I just say to the honourable gentleman that I do want to see a relationship between the United Kingdom and the European Union in the future that enables our scientists, enables our academics to continue to work with those in the EU, as well as those around the rest of the world, uh, to do the pioneering work, which, as the honourable gentleman has said, from his own experience is changing people's lives and improving those lives for the better. Ah yes, a singular denizen of the House, Sir John Hayes. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister and I first encountered the bumping pitch and blinding light of parliamentary life together in 1997. And since then, over many tests, I've endured some defeats and enjoyed many victories. As she reflects on her innings on the front bench, Will she count as amongst her greatest achievements the falling number of workless households? Which, which succour personal responsibility, secure family stability, and nurture communal pride? Will she continue that work and, in doing so, unite the whole house in that mission? Can I, can I thank my right honourable friend? Can I also thank my right honourable friend for all the work that we did together when he was a Home Office Minister? Uh, he worked very hard to ensure that what I believe is, is uh, an extremely important and pioneering piece of legislation, the Investigatory Powers Act, went through this, uh, went through this house. Uh, and I'm very happy to welcome the fact that we now have uh, that low number of workless households in this country. We all know that children brought up in a household where uh, there is work are more likely to do better at school and more likely to succeed further in their own lives. It's an important aim to reduce the number of workless households and one that I would have hoped could be accepted and championed across this whole house. Thank you Mr Speaker and can I start by associating myself completely with the final answer the Prime Minister gave to the Leader of the Opposition about his need to consider his future. And can I tell her this as well? Hold on, hold on. Can I tell her this as well? It's absolutely clear to me that the vast majority of Labour MPs agree with her too. Agree with her too. Now, 
Mr. Speaker. Now, Mr. Speaker, hundreds of people, hundreds of people, hundreds of people have come to my community meetings in the last few weeks. They're worried about antisocial behaviour. They're worried about car crime. They're worried about burglaries, and they're worried about violent crime too. They want more police on the streets, and they want more criminals locked up. So, will she urge her successor? to make sure West Midlands Police gets all the support it needs to keep people in Dudley safe. Well, can I, can I, um, can I first of all congratulate the Honourable Gentleman on his appointment as Trade Envoy to Israel. I think he's done, uh, and he's done a lot of work on anti-Semitism and should be congratulated for that work too. Um, we have, uh, uh, and on, if I may, on, uh, we have been ensuring that we have been putting more money into uh, police forces. Around a billion pounds extra is available to police forces this uh, this year, and many police forces around the country are recruiting more officers. Um, but can I say, in, in the theme that the honourable gentleman started in his question, it is uh, therefore, I would imagine, to him and to others, a great uh, matter of sadness that his right honourable friend, the leader of the opposition, took the Labour Party. Through through voting against extra money for the police and against extra powers for the police. Victoria Prentice. Speaker, 31 people were killed in Idlib yesterday and many tens of thousands of people displaced again. I would like to thank the Prime Minister for her personal commitment to Syria and for international development more widely and I would like her to join with me in reassuring the people of Syria that all of us here will continue to remember them. Can I, can I say to my honourable friend, first of all, uh, I commend what, the work that she did in setting up Singing for Syria, which has been raising funds for people in, in Syria, and the commitment that she has shown to the people of Syria. We r- remain, and the Conservative Government will remain, committed to working for a political solution in Syria that can provide the stability and security that the people of Syria deserve. Nigel Dodds. Mr Speaker, and can I join with others in thanking the Prime Minister for her years of public service as Home Secretary and as Prime Minister in the thoroughly decent and dedicated honourable way she has carried out all of her duties and the very courteous and proper way that she has had in her dealings with us as a party. And working together, we have ensured that there actually is a Conservative and Unionist Government of the United Kingdom, which will please uh, many in this House, and I'll also please Labour members by saying that we have ensured that there's no early general election. <laughs> now that the Prime Minister, now that the Prime Minister has more time on her hands with her dear husband Philip, I urge her to come to Northern Ireland and uh, avail of the many walking opportunities there. She will have seen the wonderful, she will have seen the wonderful Open Championship this weekend in Royal Portrush. A credit to Northern Ireland, a credit to the United Kingdom, the warm hospitality of the people of Northern Ireland show, and it is very open to her as well. Can I, can I thank the Right Honourable Gentleman and thank him for the discussions that we have had and the support that he has continued to give to the Conservative 
and Unionist Party so that there is a Conservative and Unionist government in this country. Can I thank him for the warm welcome that he has given uh, to, uh, for me to, and Philip to Northern Ireland. I have enjoyed my visits to Northern Ireland, but I would like to congratulate all those in Northern Ireland involved in putting on the Open Championship at Portrush. Uh, with the slight issue of the weather, um, I think, which, which may have favoured those who came close to the top of the, uh, of the championship, uh, but, uh, but it was an excellent championship put on, and I think many, many people will have seen the delights and benefits of Northern Ireland when they attended that, uh, that event. Jacob Rees-Mogg. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. As somebody who has not invariably seen eye to eye with the Prime Minister, may I, may I thank her for her remarkable public service and for, showing, and for showing that highest of virtues, a sense of duty, and on top of that, being willing to deal with people who must on occasions have been annoying to her with enormous courtesy. Mr Speaker, on behalf of many people, may I thank the Prime Minister. Thank you. Can I? Can I thank? The Honourable Gentleman's voice carries. I was able to hear his question, but I am at least as interested to hear the answer. The Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, can I thank my honourable friend for his remarks and can I say to him that the, the point of this place is about debate and argument and discussion about the issues that we all believe uh, and, and that matter to us all that so, uh, so passionately. And those debates and discussions are best held when they are held with respect and courtesy. And I thank, thank my honourable friend for the courtesy that he has shown to me in our discussions together. And I look forward to probably continuing some of those discussions when I join him on the backbenches. Jay Swinson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. When I think of girls growing up in Eastern Bartonshire, it is inspiring for them to see women in positions of power, whether that's as First Minister of Scotland or as Prime Minister of our United Kingdom. Can I ask the Prime Minister what advice she has for women across the country on how to deal with those men who think they could do a better job but are not prepared to do the actual work. Prime Minister! My advice. I think my, my advice to all women is actually be true to yourself. Uh, persevere, keep going, and be true to the vision that you are working for. But can I congratulate the Right Honourable Lady on her election as leader of her party? I am pleased also that we have a member representing a Scottish constituency who is a leader of a United Kingdom party. And I think it goes to show we are one United Kingdom, and MPs from the four nations of our Union sit in this House on the basis of equality. Can I also say to the uh, Honourable Lady that I congratulate her on becoming the first woman, I believe, to lead the, uh, the Liberal Party. Uh, and as I stand down, I'm pleased to be able to hand the baton on to another female leader of a political party. But as you look around the chamber, uh, I have to say we almost have a full set. Uh, she's referred, and uh, my party's had two women leaders. Uh, the Liberal Party now has a woman leader. Uh, the SNP has a woman leader, as the, do the DUP. Uh, Plyde and the Greens have. Um, even, even, wait for it, wait for it. 
even, even the independent Tigger Group, Change UK, or whatever they're calling themselves this week, are now on to their second woman uh, leader. There's only one party in this House letting the side down. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I thank my right honourable friend for all she has done for women in Parliament and in this country? From co founding Women to Win to tackling domestic abuse and modern slavery and legislating to make our society more equal. Will she urge her successor to build on her work and make Britain the best place in the world? to be a woman. Prime Minister. I'm very happy to, to urge that commitment for the future, but I thank my honourable friend for raising this particular issue, and I'm very pleased that under my government we've seen the gender pay gap at a record low, we've seen female employment at a record high, and a record percentage of women on executive boards. And uh, we're now seeing with our Women's Empowerment Roadmap, we're looking at how we can empower women in this country from school to retirement. I want women in this country to feel that there are no limits to how far they can go and what they can do with their lives. Cooper! We have disagreed on many things over the years, but the Prime Minister knows that I have long respected her resilience, her commitment to public duty and her seriousness and also her work on national security. And I can reassure her that there is much to be done from the back benches. But she will also know that I said to her once that I believed she was not the kind of person who would take this country into a chaotic no deal, not least because of the advice she had had on the risks to our national security. I am fearful about her successor, so can she reassure me that she really thinks in her heart that her successor will take those national security warnings as seriously as she has, and if he doesn't in October, will she speak out? Prime Minister. Say to the right honourable lady. First of all, I have every confidence that my successor will take all the issues that he needs to look at in making these decisions and others across government as seriously as they need to be taken. But can I also say to her? I'm sorry, and I am going to have. I will say this. Uh, she's absolutely right that I've always said that I believe it is better for this country to leave with a good deal, and I believe we negotiated a good deal. I voted three times in this House for a good deal. I spoke to the Right Honourable Lady about this, about this issue. If she was so concerned about the security aspect of no deal, she should have voted for the deal. Dame Cheryl Gillan! Mr Speaker, um, the Prime Minister, in every aspect of her public life, has put her heart and soul into giving people the best chance in life. Without understanding autistic people and their families, which number 2.8 million in the UK, are all at risk of being isolated and developing mental health problems. In thanking the Prime Minister for all the work that she has done in furthering the issues surrounding mental health and removing the stigma, can I ask her, after she has left the front bench to spend more meaningful time with her husband Philip, if she will join the all-party parliamentary group on <laughs> autism and become a champion and advocate 
for autistic people throughout the country. Prime Minister! Right, right Honourable Friend, and, and also thank her for the groundbreaking work that she did with the Autism Act in 2009. And I think that it was that act helped to raise people's awareness of the issues of people on the autistic spectrum and uh, a great, much greater understanding of what we needed to do in order to enable people with autism to lead uh, fulfilling lives. Uh, can I also say to her that I will, uh, there are many issues that I will want to take an interest in uh, when I'm on the back benches. Uh, this is one, and uh, along with the wider issue of mental health, that I want, will want to continue to, uh, to look at. And I have committed to taking the autism training that uh, the uh, uh, All Party Group has made available for Members of Parliament. Finally, I call the mother of the House, Harriet Harman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's always a historic moment when a Prime Minister leaves office, especially when the country faces such difficult times as we do ahead. But her departure marks another milestone, because though we're on to our 77th Prime Minister now, she is only the second woman ever to have held that office. And she put tackling human trafficking and the horrors of domestic violence as a priority at the heart of her government. And can I say that in that respect, her legacy is secure because everyone in this House backs that and we will all be committed to taking that forward. Even her harshest critics must recognise her integrity, her commitment to public service, her dedication to this country. And those are qualities that none of us should ever take for granted. But can I just offer her a word of sisterly advice? Sometimes you just have to be a bit more careful when a man wants to hold your hand. <laughs> I, 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 wish, uh, I thank her for her service as our Prime Minister and I sincerely wish her all the very best for the future. Minister. Well, can I thank the Right Honourable Lady for her, her, for her question? And of course, the Right Honourable Lady joined this House in 1982 when there was a female Prime Minister, but very few women in this House. And she has played a very important role, and she can be proud of the role that she played in ensuring that more women came into this House as Labour members of Parliament. Uh, and she started something which has started to change the face of this House, which has been very important. Um, I, of course, came here in 1997 as one of only 30. 13 Conservative uh, women, and indeed one Labour Member of Parliament approached me to encourage me to sign the Private Members Bill list because he assumed as I was a woman I must have been a Labour Member of uh, Parliament. Uh, but I'm also, proud, I'm also proud to have played my part in getting more women uh, MPs in this House, and I'm sure that amongst the women in this House today there is a future Prime Minister, maybe more than one. Uh, later today, as I've said earlier, I will uh, return to the back benches, uh, and it will be my first time in 21 years, so it's going to be quite a change from standing here at the dispatch box. I'm told that over the last three years, I've answered over 4,500 questions over 140 hours in this House. More, more than I might have expected, Mr Speaker. <laughs> In, in future, I look forward to asking the questions. But we are, as the Right Honourable Lady has said, living through extraordinary political times. 
This House of Commons is rightly at the centre of those events, and that's because of the vital link between every single member of this House and the communities, the commons that we represent. That's the bedrock of our parliamentary democracy and of our liberty. And each one of us, wherever we sit, whatever we stand for, can take pride in that. And that duty to serve my constituents will remain my greatest motivation. Yeah. Yeah.